I'm Hillary Hendershot, your host, and this is Profit Boss Radio, episode 106. Profit Boss Radio is your weekly wealth mastermind. Profit Boss is also a community and a movement for women who are ready to take control of their money, break the glass ceiling, and give ourselves permission to finally have enough. Want the secrets of wealth to be yours? This is the place. I'm Hillary Hendershot. I'm a certified financial planner running a leading advisory firm for women, and I'm sharing with you real stories from real life and real women who are making it happen. Forget Wall Street. Let's do this, ladies. Hey, Profit Boss. Today's episode is a teeny bit different than most. Back in episode 90, I talked about Bitcoin and talked about what it would mean if you bought it and whether I think you should. And spoiler alert, I basically don't think if you're listening to this podcast that you should do anything with Bitcoin. Well, today I decided to cover the other side of that argument. So I have for you today a really lovely conversation with one of the original Bitcoin supporters and purchasers. There are really a lot of online sources that suggest he's a millionaire multiple times over, maybe hundreds of times over as a result. Although, as you'll hear in the interview, he declines to comment on that. Trace Mayer is my guest. He holds degrees in accounting and law and has studied Austrian economics. He funded core blockchain infrastructure, including the technology, which provides the foundational security for Bitcoin wallets. BitPay, the largest Bitcoin merchant processor, and Kraken, the largest Bitcoin euro exchange and a major worldwide liquidity provider. He hosts the extremely popular Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where he interviews the top people in the Bitcoin world and can be followed on Twitter at Trace Mayer. That's T-R-A-C-E-M-A-Y-E-R. Some of the things Trace talks about today are actually public policy issues that I actually agree with. There are dozens of examples of governments appropriating pension funds, for example. Those are the big retirement funds that corporations amass on behalf of their employees. And governments have appropriated those pension funds, literally just taken them, which is wholesale thievery. And it's disgusting to me. Uh, the U.S. has not done that outright, not yet. But one could easily say that the bank bailout after the financial crisis took literally billions of dollars out of the bank accounts of ordinary Americans and gave those dollars to a concentrated few bank employees. I think that was a tragedy. And Trace mentions that event today. So does that mean you should buy Bitcoin so that you can get out of the U.S. dollar system? I don't know. You might be wondering if I say I don't think Bitcoin is very interesting at all and you probably shouldn't buy it and Trace says it's got all of these incredible features and functions and you should buy it and you should be interested in it and oh, by the way, he's also very rich from it. Well, then who's right? And the answer is nobody. Neither of us are right. And at some point, you have to get out of the tactical weeds and create a strategy for yourself. Your own personal strategy will define the tactical plan. As you'll hear, Trace has emotional reasons. He describes them as political reasons, but they're really emotional reasons for being a Bitcoin advocate. And according to what we know, his tactics paid off for him. There are also lots of people whose Bitcoin tactics did not pay off. So I just know who I am as an investor, and I've defined my leverage points, which are not my investments for me, but my business and my personal income. That's where I'm swinging for the fences, not in my portfolio. I've got a lot of risk in my personal life, and I don't want my portfolio or my clients' portfolios to be 
an aspect of life where I get surprised. So that's what I have. I have a life where I take risk and I have a portfolio and a a client base, a, a financial planning practice where I pretty much know what to expect from what I'm dealing with there. And I think if you're listening to this podcast that you're probably in that same boat. So it's a matter of knowing your audience. Trace says Bitcoin will exert dominance over the dollar and over gold. I certainly cannot predict the future, but I can say Bitcoin has a long ways to go to get there. Um, Of course, the US dollar is only 226 years old. So it's global domination is relatively new and hard won. Anything can happen. Also, I do think activists are prone to make really provocative statements. And he did in the interview. He said that the Federal Reserve publishes interbank loans, and those uh, loans recently went to their lowest level in 40 years. And then he made this statement. So then the Federal Reserve just stopped publishing the data, which I believe is a statement he made to make you, the listener, and maybe me even, not trust the Federal Reserve and therefore want our money in Bitcoin. However... Uh, What's actually true is the Fed began paying interest on reserves in October of 2008, which replaced a big part of the interbank lending market. Um, Previously, banks with excess reserves would lend them to banks that were short. Now, everybody just parks their reserves with the Fed or borrows from the Fed if they're short. And that change was motivated by the fact that banks were failing in 2008 and banks with excess reserves didn't want to lend them to a bank that might fail. So the Fed got in the middle and intermediated and is happy to continue intermediating because it gives them another lever to do monetary policy. So the loans that Trace was talking about are still happening. They're just reported on the Fed's balance sheet rather than being published data. So um, that's just a little bit of commentary about this conversation. I think Trace was extremely generous with his time and with his opinions. He's certainly an interesting speaker and a great orator. I really, truly hope that you enjoy this alternate side or the other side of the coin, huh? no pun intended, of the Bitcoin story. Trace, welcome to Profit Boss Radio. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Hillary. Glad to be here. Yeah, you have quite an impressive uh, bio and resume as it regards Bitcoin. And since I've gone on the record saying that I don't think my listeners should have anything to do with it, I'm really looking forward to the alternate perspective here. And, and you know, let's just really keep it in, keep it in understandable terms for people because uh, probably Profit Boss Radio listeners aren't experts in the world of crypto. And so we'll just... Um, help people understand it and give people a way to think about it. So how did you get involved in cryptocurrency? What's kind of your background and what's your interest in it? Yeah, I mean, I, I've i been uh, involved in digital currencies like since I was in middle school, really, you know, playing these online games. And, uh, you know, I saw the rise of like Napster and, and Kazaa and uh, BitTorrent and so all these internet protocols, being a digital native as opposed to digital foreigner, just as part of that generation. So when I came across Bitcoin... What does that mean, digital native? Uh, well, most people, you know, it's kind of a generational divide. I'm like a fish because I've grown up with the internet. It's always been part of my perspective. Whereas, you know, people who are an older generation, they're like scuba divers. They're not native to the environment of the internet. They didn't grow up with it. it so they just have a whole different perspective. Uh, and, and we see this generational divide. Bitcoin is very much kind of a millennial phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, so I, I kind of, I kind of grew, grew up in all of that. I was very interested in money. I was very interested in the tech. 
back and everything. And then I studied Austrian School of Economics and, and you know, did an accounting degree, did a law degree. And so when I ran into Bitcoin, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. And so, you know, I kind of jumped in with both feet and I've tried to be signal about Bitcoin as opposed to noise. Uh, you know, so I've been around Meaning it for a long what? time. You tell the truth. What does that mean? You know, I, I started publicly talking about it when it was a quarter. I was pretty much the first publicly recognized figure out there. I had a blog that had had a few million page views. Uh, so it's not like I was a huge figure by any means, but I was at least someone who would talk about it publicly. And now, you know, everybody's try, everybody loves to chase the rabbit, you know, and the Bitcoin price has gone up a lot and it's gone down a lot and, and all types of stuff. And so we, we're getting a lot of a lot of noise. We're getting a lot of people that are just talking about making a quick buck. They're... Uh, you know, putting stuff up with their Lamborghini or whatever it is, they're not they're not focused on like the philosophical foundation and the fundamental tech innovation that has happened in this space. And so I like to think that I focus on, you know, the more substantive parts of Bitcoin and really like what it what effect it's going to have on us. And, you know, I'm not selling, like, I don't really sell anything. I, I don't monetize my podcast. I, that's kind of a labor of love. I interview all the CEOs in the space to, like, what is everybody working on to synthesize the discussion and, and harmonize it. But otherwise, I mean, like, you know, I'm not trying to sell some $1,000 crypto trading course like a lot of these Charlatans <laughs> out there you. are. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we will not be promoting anything like that today. <laughs> yeah, it, it really, it really kind of irks me because, man, it just gives the whole space a bad name. And it turns a lot of people off. And it's already so complicated and hard to deal with anyways that, man, I just really I really am kind of empathetic for the people who are trying to come into it because it's like a feeding frenzy of a bunch of sharks. And it's in your in your the food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're vulnerable if you don't know anything, and you're willing to. You get caught up in the fervor, right? Um, well, it's power, right? And, yes. And have to like we have to we have to claim that knowledge ourselves. Um, we're we're very much in a day and age where we have to hone in on signal and claim the knowledge that we want. So you have to be very careful about who you listen to, why you listen to them, and you have to make your own decisions. Uh, personal responsibility. So talk to me about the philosophical underpinnings of Bitcoin. Is this about personal liberties? Is this about independence from government? Well, that, you know, that's an excellent question, at least for me. Like my core purpose in all of this is extending monetary sovereignty. And what I mean by that is, you know, having having an what we've done with Bitcoin is we've reduced money to or or one aspect or application of Bitcoin is money, but we've reduced this transferring of value over a communications channel. And so we've reduced this this value to data itself. So, you know, like gold is very close to it in the sense that we have an atom, you know, at gold atoms. And like if you have gold, it's nobody's liability. That is sovereign money. It's bearer money. That is like pure power in your hand in a lot of ways. And But Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like, instead of being a precious metal or a precious atom, it's a precious number. And it's literally just a, a number that you can use to solve a math problem to transfer this value. And once you've abstracted into a number it doesn't have to exist at a single point in place and time, which makes it very easy to steal. Hence why we have big giant vaults that, you know, secure gold. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, like, you know, I mean, 
you look at some of these Bitcoin addresses, they might have hundreds of millions of dollars worth of value in them. And at the end of the day, they're being secured by a prime number, something like three or seven. And that's a very, very powerful thing. And it's a very empowering thing for the individual because it gives the individual monetary sovereignty. And once you have monetary sovereignty, uh, your, your outlook on life begins to change quite a bit because you have money that can't be seized. It can't be stolen. It can't be frozen. Like you've got monetary sovereignty. Okay, so I was just going to ask you, what's the value of monetary sovereignty? And that's it. It can't be seized, stolen, or frozen. Yeah, and you know, there's there's kind of a saying that good fences make good neighbors. And, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like property rights, and that's really what we've done with Bitcoin. We've put property rights, laid them down in software code. Uh, you know, like there's PGP, which helps encrypt emails. So we have the Fourth Amendment that protects you against unreasonable searches and seizures. Mm-hmm. And then we have PGP, which makes it literally impossible to, ser- to, to, to seize and search your, your emails, right? So, so we're enshrining in software code what we – things that we want to see. And in this case, with Bitcoin, a lot of the people working on Bitcoin want to see monetary sovereignty enshrined into the software code. And so, you know, so that's what we're doing. We're writing the code. The code's changing the world. And and when we make these good fences, when we make these good borders, we make good neighbors. And what we've seen is in a lot of countries that do not have strong property rights, average life expectancy is like 20 years less than countries that do have strong property rights. And people are much happier, usually, mm-hmm. in countries that have good property rights as opposed to those that don't. And so when it comes to you know Venezuela, Argentina, uh, a lot of these countries, Africa, you know, that don't have property rights, well, Bitcoin can become uh, a foundation for property rights in a lot of these areas. And so that's really you know what is driving a lot of us. We want to do the most amount of good for the most amount of people in the least amount of time with the least amount of work. And you know <laughs> so we've we've honed in on fixing the money problem in the world and and the monetary sovereignty problem. And it it ripples out everywhere. You know our interpersonal relationships with with people. When you've got monetary sovereignty, well, now you're you're you know you're in a relationship out of out of mutual choice as opposed to you know like a hundred or two hundred years ago, marriage was much more kind of a uh, it was a different institution and a much more kind of economic institution, and we still kind of see it where you know people might be staying in a in in a relationship like that because they don't have an economic foundation they don't have this monetary sovereignty to be like you know what i can leave <laughs> and i and i've got the money to do it right, right. i often hear women <laughs> refer to it as f you money <laughs> yeah exactly i mean when you when you when you're sitting on money that that even cuz think about it no amount of violence is going to solve a math problem so when you're sitting on money that is protected by math and no amount of violence is able to seize it or freeze it. I mean, that's like that's sovereign money. You've got sovereignty now <laughs> with your money. And and that's a good way to be like, you know what? This just isn't working for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I got the money to do it. And I got, you know, so so that that helps. I think people, you know, people reclaim their monetary sovereignty. And it gets really complicated because when we're dealing with fiat currencies, you know, those are not limited in amount. 
we Bitcoin is limited in amount by the math and the computer processing and the rules of this protocol. And so, you know, they can just print any amount of this fiat currency as they want, the government. And that's a way to confiscate through inflation, which is a form of taxation without representation, without due process of law. It changes how the power of the purse is supposed to vest in instead of vesting with the individual, which under the U.S. Constitution, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. That was to help, you know, with checks and balances in the political machinery. Uh, you erode those. And guess what? You're going to start having a bunch of other messes that and, and other problems that result from that. And so, you know, when when individuals are able to claim their monetary sovereignty, it really gives them some steel in their spine. So uh, we've used a couple words I want to make sure to define for people. So fiat currency is the kind of currency we have now. So until the 1970s, we were on a gold standard and every dollar you had was backed by a, literally a piece of gold. And that's not the case anymore. So our dollars aren't backed by anything. Right. Um, yeah. So, so the Bank of England in 1696, it failed and they were like, man, how do we fix this problem? And they put Isaac Newton in as master of the mint and he developed the gold standard. And then we had several different iterations of the gold standard. We actually had like 50,000 different currencies in the United States. Under the 1792 Coinage Act, any federal employee working at the mint who debased or made worse the currency shall be guilty of a felony and shall suffer death. Right. So when they when they inflated the currency, I mean, that could be death penalty. And the reason is because it's so damaging to society. I mean, it leads to misallocation of capital. It leads to starvation, uh, like with with the 2007 financial crisis and all the bailouts. I mean, how many millions of years have they stolen through this mechanism from people's retirements and pension funds and stuff like that. And so then, you know, we had the we had the Civil War and Lincoln consolidated the banks uh, federally. And then we had the Bretton Woods and we had uh, FDR made it illegal to hold gold and silver. And then uh, Nixon closed the gold window. And then Ron Paul helped get gold and silver legalized for people to own. And it's really a civil right. It belongs in the same areas as constitutions and bills of right because it protects against this these despotic inroads on the part of government. And so, you know, just like freedom of speech does. And so, you know, this is, this is the world we find ourselves in where they can just print as much of this stuff as, as they want and they can force you to take it in payment of debts. And now we just kind of use it and we accept it as normal when – Every time this has happened throughout history, it ends up in the fiat currency graveyard. I mean, through hyperinflation, whether it's the Reichmark in, in, in Germany, whether it's Argentina, they do it like every 10 years. I mean, it's just what politicians do. And so being chained with sound money is really what gives us the ability to also have a limited government. And so what you're talking about specifically, you mentioned Venezuela and Africa and Venezuela, they're having massive famines because of communism and in Africa, you know, the government sort of on a regular basis rapes and pillages its people. And what you're talking about is not waiting for the government to transform and give property rights, but taking the property rights in the form of uh, how we hold currency. Is that yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, it's kind of like it's Arwen with Frodo and like the ring race. And she, she gets <laughs> at her sword and she's like, if you want it, come and claim it. Like, no, nobody's going to just give you your freedom. Nobody's going to just like give you your monetary sovereignty. 
and so like if you want it, like you have to come and claim it now, which, hey, look, that's what we've done with Bitcoin. Like the cypherpunks, they don't the cypherpunks. The, and that's the, the philosophical tradition that this came out of. They don't believe in like voting and protesting. They don't believe in any of that stuff. They believe that they have a mantra. Cypherpunks write code. And the, the code that cypherpunks write, it changes the world. It's like, no, we're not going to like vote and, and do all this stuff to have a Fourth Amendment to protect our privacy. We're going to write PGP software and we're going to make it technically impossible to search this stuff because you can't do the math. We're protected by the cryptography. We're protected by the math. And so, you know, th- that's really, you know, that's really in this core ethos of Bitcoin. And, you know, I, I think, I think it generally identifies with a lot of people that, yeah, I want monetary sovereignty. I don't like somebody being able to just take all my stuff anytime they want, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, what if, what if you're the, what if you're the, uh, it's like a, a case of mistaken identity and they freeze all of your bank accounts and, and brokerage accounts and all that stuff and turn off your electricity and your cell phones because they think that you're X, even though you're not X. Or civil forfeiture. You know, when you have monetary sovereignty, mm, you're you're much more self-reliant in in so many aspects of your life. I'm pleased to introduce to the Profit Boss Radio audience a wonderful sponsor, CreditRepair.com. And if you've got anything but beaming pride about your credit score, I want you to give them a call. CreditRepair.com can help make sure that there's nothing on your credit report that shouldn't be there. I can tell you from personal experience, though, full disclosure, I didn't use CreditRepair.com, but I can tell you Credit Repair works. It worked for me, and I now have a near-perfect credit score. Visit their website at CreditRepair.com or call 1-833-333-2282 today to learn more. Most financial advisors think that unless you have 500000 or maybe even a million dollars or more to invest, you're actually more trouble than the time it takes to help you. I have a huge problem with that notion. You aren't a number. You're a person who has real financial goals, questions, and dreams. For those of you out there with less than a half million dollars to invest, have you found yourself stuck with a financial advisor who only tries selling you insurance or annuities, where it's obvious that you're nothing more than a commission to them? Or how about a robo-advisor that offers no personalized attention? Wouldn't you love to find someone who actually cares about your financial success? Someone who wants to know why you're investing in the first place? Well, I have good news. Ignite Investing now offers you personalized financial planning and advice, a professionally constructed portfolio, financial accountability, and a custom wealth plan so that you can make the most of your money, as well as connect you inside a community of investors who are goal-oriented like you and who are committed to achieving financial freedom. If that sounds like what you've been looking for, then we'd love for you to apply by visiting igniteinvesting.com and clicking on Get Started Today. So talk to me about the actual tangible reality of Bitcoin. How do you get it? How do you hold it? How do you liquidate it or trade it for things or real estate or investments or dollars? Um, and why do I hear so many stories about things happening like people losing all of their Bitcoin because their computer is old? <laughs> yeah, it's uh well, remember, we're dealing with 
a number and you need to keep this number secret. So we have public keys and we have private keys. And these private keys, that's the number that enables you to do the math problem to move your Bitcoins around. And, and so you have to keep those private keys very secret. You know, you need to keep them secret from the NSA. You need to keep them secret from Russian or Chinese hackers. You need to keep them secret from, like, little green aliens. Like, <laughs> you got to be as paranoid as possible. I mean, I like to joke that I got, like, this tinfoil sombrero, right? Just, like, my tinfoil hat is huge because I'm just so paranoid about these private keys. But those private keys are literally the keys to your own monetary sovereignty. And so, you know, one, you have to kind of become conversant in the language. You have to learn and understand a little bit of the tech. And I mean, we can't really go hugely into depth in it here because it's like, well, how do I send an email and how do I attach a file to the email? I mean, so much of this stuff, you just have to kind of learn through practical experience. It's kind of like riding a bike, you know, just just get on the bike. Yeah, you might bang up your knee or whatever, but like it'll work out and just don't risk a lot of money all at once. And so there are a lot of ways to start. I mean, there's websites like we use coins.com, bitcoin.org that can have some helpful, uh, starting tutorials. Every country is different. So where you would buy Bitcoin or sell Bitcoin, that's going to change depending on the rules and the regulation and the compliance that the companies in whatever country are attempting to to uh, operate under. And so, you know, you just you just kind of have to get in get in there and start start doing it. <laughs> it can be very daunting, but you know, I've given a couple of the resources uh you know, Bitcoin.org, we use coins. Yeah. Like my podcast, I I interview a lot of the CEOs of different different Bitcoin companies, so that can be helpful for people. But yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> hey, but at least we don't have to go get out on the battlefield like George Washington, you know? <laughs> or so, Lincoln. No, so, I mean that that's what the fight was about. The fight was about the continental dollar and the collapse and like being able to to just steal all the resources through taxation or like the Third Reich. That's how they can scripted the resources and productivity of Europe was through the exchange rates. Like the money is a, I mean, this, we're, this is serious. This is economic war and this is currency war and, and taking territory, uh, taking monetary sovereignty territory. I mean, that's really what this is about, you know, and people have taken your, your sovereignty away from you. I don't don't think most people feel like they're at war right now. And I agree with you about the revolutionaries. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have sort of forgotten or never known what it was really like to not have those rights and seem very willing to give them up. So I don't I, I don't know when I speak to most people, do they feel like their individual rights are paramount? I don't that's not the the dialogue that I'm in right now. And then I'm not. I mean, I guess I'm I'm saying I agree with you, but I'm also trying to speak to most people who who that's a foreign conversation for them. They feel insulated, protected. They don't feel like they lack rights. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, it's it's what's the first rule of panic, right? Like do it first. And I mean, in the last five years, we've had something like 20 countries that have nationalized pension funds, you know, it's criminal. It's criminal. Well, look at Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Lehman Brothers, Bank of America, like all these bailouts, $16 trillion of bailouts. Like, guess what? <laughs> like all those years that you worked, poof, gone, gone. Transfer, cr- transferred to these other people. Guess right. what? They they just took territory. They just took your resources. 
Like this is this is economic and, and financial warfare that's going on not just between the U.S. and China or the U.S. and Russia, but also between the individual and the institution of the state. Like it's, you know, you, you can ignore it and you can go watch your TV or whatever, but like if <laughs> like if poof, it's gone. Like, I mean, and what are you going to do? You're going to be lined around the block like it with IndyMac. Remember, because remember the, the pictures of the bank runs with like Northern Rock and IndyMac in 2007. And oh, and this is wild. So the Federal Reserve, they they for the last 50 years, they've published the commercial interbank loans. But guess what? They like two weeks ago, those loans went to the lowest level in like 40 years, basically because none of the commercial banks are trusting each other. So guess what the guess what the Federal Reserve did? They stopped publishing the data. So like, you know, none of the banks trust each other. Like, why should you trust the bank? But none of the banks trust each other. Nobody trusts the collateral. Everybody wants whatever it is in their hand. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And so like the financial crisis of 2007 compared to what's probably coming down the pipeline over the next three to five years at a minimum, I mean, it's going to be maybe an order of magnitude larger. And I mean, just to put a highlight on this, we have the Dole Foods case. So in the Dole Foods case in, in the Delaware state courts, there was a tender offer for Dole Foods shares. And there were, there were something like 48 million shares that were facially valid. That means people got their brokerage statements from like E-Trade or a TD Ameritrade or whoever, and they own 48 million shares. Well, guess what? There were only 36 million shares that had been authorized by the company. So there were 12 million shares that were facially valid and entitled to the tender offer money, but never existed and never, never had legal authorization to exist. I mean, this is a $295 million case, and, and nobody, knowed, no, nobody knew who owned what. And that's because it's the standard practice in the area with the brokers and broker-dealers and stuff that everybody's basically playing three-card Monty, and nobody knows who actually owns what in our financial system. So when you log into E-Trade, and it says you have 100 shares of Apple or 100 shares of Google, like, you, you know what a cypherpunk would say? Prove it. You know, I'm not going to trust. I'm going to verify. I'm going to cryptographically prove that I own the shares. And if you did that to our current financial system, you're going to find out that a lot of people own a lot less than they actually think they own. And so it's whoever can get to the lifeboat first, right? It's it's like trying to put a size 50 foot in a size six shoe. It's just that the, the, the resources have already been misallocated. And another case is is Pel, uh, Pelts wanted to get on the Procter and Gamble board. He's an activist investor, mm-hmm. and so they they, uh, they it, it, basically the board didn't want Pelts on there. So they chat. So there was a fight over the proxy vote. Procter and Gamble spent forty million dollars litigating this case with Pelts on challenging the proxy votes, and the board finally dropped the case and let Pelts on the board because they couldn't accurately count the votes and didn't see any way to do it. And they'd spent $40 million trying to keep them off. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. This is like a Fortune 10 company, right? And they can't accurately count the votes. That means they don't know who owns the shares and who has the right to vote. I mean, it should be very simple. With Bitcoin, you know, we're able to cryptographically prove the votes instantly 
instantaneously without any cost. Well, what so, about what about I mean, this is crazy. What about Bitcoin that gets lost if you lose your private key? Is there still record of the Bitcoin? What does that do to the supply of Bitcoin? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, the Bitcoin's there, but if you lose the private key, you can't do the math problem and you can't move it. So effectively, it's like a big... So it's lost. Yeah, it's like gold at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, eventually, maybe in like a thousand years or something, we'll have the technology to crack that private key or something. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, like based on the technology as we understand it, like, yeah, it's like gold at the bottom of the ocean. It's just not going to... It's just kind of stuck there. <laughs> okay. So, and then, so don't lose your, so don't lose your private key. Like that's rule number one. <laughs> rule number one. <laughs> well, well, rule number one is hold your own private keys. And rule number two is never lose them. <laughs> so I think that, you know, I, I was around, it sounds like I'm a little bit older than you, but not that much older. I was around in 1999, 1998, 1999. Everybody and their mother was making a 50 to 70% internal rate of return holding dot com stocks. Every company wanted to be a dot com company. Companies just added the word dot com to their name and they were making money. Um, and so it was this pie in the sky sort of profit opportunity. And I perceive the same feelings about Bitcoin. So when people think about Bitcoin, I think they think this is a runaway profit opportunity. I should have invested back then. I should probably invest now because it's going to skyrocket in value and I'm losing out on money. But the conversation you and I are having is actually a conversation about activism. It's actually a conversation about making a difference, about um, about doubling down on property rights, about taking property rights back from governments and 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 governing bodies. Is that when you think about Bitcoin? Do you think with dollar signs in your eyes, or do you not think in dollars anymore? Do you think in BTCs? Or <laughs> because you haven't mentioned that this is a w- great way to make money once. Well, so so I mean, that's the critical question the world is being posed right now. What is the asset with the lowest risk profile? Is it dollars? Is that the risk-free re- asset or risk-free return? Is it gold or is it something else? And if it's something else, I would say it has to be Bitcoin. You know, it's going to be a, an internet protocol. Bitcoin's the only internet protocol that has the network effects, that has the security, the scalability, and the liquidity. So what we've talked about in terms of monetary sovereignty, this digital gold aspect of Bitcoin, which is just one application of thousands that we'll be able to do in the future, this is perhaps one value proposition that somebody may have on why they would want to own Bitcoin and speculate on it. So when I, when I go down the fundamental analysis of of whether I want to own Bitcoin or a crypto asset or whatever, you know, the first network effect is going to be speculation, chasing the rabbit. Like, oh, you know, maybe I want some monetary sovereignty. Maybe I think other people will want monetary sovereignty, so I'm going to buy some. Well, once people start owning it, then merchants will accept it. That's the second network effect. The third network effect is going to be consumers will will get some just to spend it at merchants because it's cheaper, more efficient, or whatever. Those people holding it will will incentivize miners to allocate capital and secure the network. And right now, the Bitcoin network is consuming more electricity annually than the entire country of Argentina. Oh my. So, this, so this thing is real. It's not going away. It's here to stay. Like, that, like it's here. Mm-hmm. And so that's the fourth network effect. It's secure. It's immutable. You can't, ju- you can't change this thing. Like, it just, 
it just goes down the road. You can't go back and alter the balance. You can't go back and get out the eraser and say, oh, that you had $100 in your Wells Fargo account. Now you have 75. Like you can't do that, Matt. You have to follow the rules of the protocol. You like you have to solve the math problem. So that's the fourth network effect. The fifth network effect are going to be developers. They're going to extensify because this is software, so you, it's extensible. You can meaning you can you can improve on it and make it better. Obviously, Windows today does more stuff and is different than Windows in 1995, right? And so that's our fifth network effect. The sixth network effect is going to be financialization. That's where we really build the the veins and arteries with our current financial system. Uh, things like the CME futures or e ETFs, etc. And then the seventh network effect would be world reserve currency status. This is where Bitcoin has exerted dominance as the risk-free asset that everybody wants to settle in. It's exerted that dominance over the dollar and over gold and become the dominant, the dominant world reserve currency. So, you know, there we go. There are the seven network effects as I've like kind of outlined them, why people might want to hire Bitcoin or use it. Mm-hmm. And is there a value proposition anywhere in there? Well, gold alone has a $9 trillion market cap and, and we trade billions of it, billions of dollars worth of it every day. And all it is is kind of a store of value that's limited in amount. If Bitcoin has the same market cap as gold, you're looking at $45,000 per Bitcoin. So that's a 5x right there. You know, and Bitcoin's only nine years old. It doesn't have this thousands of year history like gold does. I mean, if we use it, if Bitcoin replaces Visa and MasterCard, boom, you know, that's bigger there. If Bitcoin replaces government property registries for real estate and boats and cars and airplanes and stuff like that, I, if we start using it with smart contracts and all this stuff, I mean, because because the 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 monetary sovereignty, the 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 speculative asset money part of it, that's just one application of thousands that we'll be able to do in the future. You know, when people built the internet in 1995, if you told people like, oh, you'll be able to book all your airline tickets and your movie tickets, and you'll be doing all this stuff, and and you'll be able to have podcasts and everything, people would be like, oh my gosh, that's like science fiction. What planet are you coming from? Uh, you know, it's the same way with Bitcoin because we're building out a new layer of the internet. The internet has seven different layers. It has 50 to 60 protocols that compose those seven layers. Bitcoin is an eighth layer to the internet, and we're going to build additional layers on top of it, things like the Lightning Network, which is in major testing right now. Uh, So, I mean, in terms of the value proposition, a lot of people are beginning to think that there really could be substance to this Bitcoin thing, that it's not just a bunch of kind of pie-in-the-sky hot air. Uh, And there's very, very wide disagreement on that between people, which is one of the reasons I think we see such volatile price swings. You know, it was $900 a year ago. It hit 19600 in December, and now it's back to like 10000 I mean, this thing is like a ferret on meth. It's, it, and I think that shows <laughs> the asymmetric knowledge between people that are bidding on it, you know, that are bidding on the price of it. But right. if it, I mean, if, And that's if another it, thing to, to look out for because – when you're trading against dummies, bad things can happen. Yeah, which, so, I mean, my, I, 
I, I came up with this idea of like the current price divided by the 200-day moving average to filter out long-term noise, to get the long-term trend and filter out daily noise and stuff. And uh, Preston from the Investors Podcast, he totally unbeknownst to me, he actually created a site, mayormultiple.com, and like it, it helps people kind of navigate this ratio because you know I like to buy stuff when it's cheap and and sell stuff when it's expensive and and so the mayor multiple was kind of a tool I used to do that so he created a site about that you know because you do the fundamental analysis then you you know I like to do a technical analysis to determine whether it's a good time to buy or sell mm -hmm. then you know I start making my choice and I'm I'm kind of like a turtle uh, but you know when we're talking about taking territory with Bitcoin and a lot, you know, and like myself, I take territory and I never give it up. Like, you know, so we're very safe. We're very conservative. It's like a glacier. We're just moving forward, taking territory, monetary sovereignty. And uh, when you say we, you mean Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin and a lot of the developers who are working on Bitcoin and the people who support it. Um, I mean, it's a very substantive project, you know, couple, like $100 billion plus market cap, $20 billion a day of, of, of liquidity trading in the volume in volumes on the exchanges and stuff like that. Like, th I mean, this is a real thing. It's using a lot of electricity to secure it. Um, it's a real project. You know, yeah. when I got started in it, it was like less, it was less than $2 million market cap. I mean, it was a total experiment, huge pie in the sky, lots of risk. Uh, but now, now it's, it's here and it's here to stay and it's not, it's not going anywhere. So. <laughs> okay. So I've kept you longer than I said I would, but this has been a great conversation. You're um, obviously full of really interesting things to say about it. My last question really is how should people think there's, I, I've probably heard of a dozen initial coin offerings. There are other alternatives to Bitcoin crypt cryptocurrencies. Um, how should people think about Bitcoin versus the other cryptocurrencies? Um, I, I look at almost all of the other ICOs and crypto coins and altcoins and stuff. I look mostly as distractions or largely as research and development laboratories. So, you know, for especially for new people that are coming into the space, like just don't get distracted, <laughs> you know, just keep your eye on the prize. Like, uh, I mean, Bitcoin. So you is, think the other, the other cryptocurrencies are, are a distraction. Yeah. But vastly like, or there, or there are and D right. And, and it's good to have R and D and, and you can look, there's going to be money like a rabbit to chase over with a lot of these coins, but I mean, it's there's like 1,500 of them now, and everybody's working on their own thing, and like people use like all types of buzzwords and throw them around to confuse new people, and then you got like pump and dump uh, operations that are going on to like you know they're, they're trying to just I mean it's it's a whole huge industry now. It's like you know try to try to ho at least with Bitcoin you're you're dealing with something that's very safe relative to everything else in this universe it's very safe very secure very trusted like there have been a lot of eyes that have reviewed the code you, you just don't get a lot of that with these other projects not that you know and and don't get me wrong like i've 
like I, I, I definitely keep up on a lot of this stuff, but I mean, this is like my industry. This is my, my field of expertise, right? For most people, they just, they got other things to do, like going to band practice or taking the kids to soccer or, or whatever, you know? (laughs) You're saying they're distracted. Well, oh, you're saying most people don't have time to research it the way you do. Yeah. Most people don't have the way to research it the way I do. You know, they have things higher priority. I mean, like their children or their family or stuff like that. And, or their job, you know, maybe they're a partner at a law firm or they're an accountant or whatever, you know, so they, they're not going to be deep in the weeds like I am. And even, even being deep in the weeds, I can't keep myself abreast and and of everything that's going on because there's just way, there's just so much happening. And so, you know, that's why I come back to Bitcoin because it's got all these network effects. And then I gently like move out from it into the other projects. And I think that's kind of a very safe, conservative way for people to kind of approach the space. Perfect. Trace, I really appreciate your time and your expertise. This has been very educational. I'm sure people will be very motivated, very galvanized after this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And we will link people back to your website if they want to find out more. Oh, thanks for uh, thanks so much for having me and having an open mind. And, you know, I just really hope that all all, all your listeners and stuff can uh, find what they really want in life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also your podcast, Bitcoin Knowledge. Oh, yes. Bitcoin Knowledge. It's uh, www.bitcoin.kn. I have a Twitter account where I follow the example of our great president and stir up lots of controversy (laughs) (laughs) and have a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah, so that's where people can kind of learn more and delve into the delve into the crypto space. And like I said, hone in on Signal. Try to ignore the noise because there is so much of it out there. Thanks. That's a great truism and a good lesson to leave people with. (laughs) Thank you, Hillary. Take care. Today's episode of Profit Boss Radio was brought to you by Ignite Investing. If it's time to release all that financial anxiety and make sure you're on the right path to financial success by hiring a comprehensive wealth management team and you have between $25,000 and $499,000 to invest, go to igniteinvesting.com now and click get started today. For today's show notes, visit hillaryhendershot.com. And if you love Profit Boss Radio, please share the show with your friends. And of course, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Until next time, I wish you much prosperity. 